and welcome to the Dice Screaming Podcast. Arr! Oh, yeah. It's, hey, you know what time it is. It's time for that podcast. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we're going to do it today. Hey, do it to it with style. It is, well, it's a Friday, I think. But it's also maybe wherever you're at, it could be whatever day it is. But, uh, yeah, it's a Friday for us and uh, another day in the Arctic wastelands of southwest lower michigan ah greatly relieved because we are no longer in the like sub-zero temperatures you know the, yeah. the polar conditions have abated everything is awesome um you know like roads are a little slippery but it's it's nothing a michigan-born person has not experienced before so things are awesome uh, anything is better than that like wind chill negative 18 crazy stuff yeah uh, where Literally setting foot out the door, you can start to feel the heat being sucked out of the entirety of your body through just your face. Mm. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing. I just, wow, I, I totally, totally get the video game effect of like minus one eighty. Yeah, you might actually have to put a heavy coat on. That's I, how I look at it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the little point that my face was exposed, uh, man, that's dumb. Oh, and glasses frames. Boy, uh, man, metal was not the best choice <laughs> uh, in retrospect. Mm. I'm, I'm looking back, hindsight being 2020, and man, did I feel that. It's like, wow, this is, yeah, that is a bracing sensation on the earlobes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we survived that. We crawled. Uh, uh, we and the sled dogs have, have crawled out of our, our burrow. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do another podcast. So Mike uh, braved life and limb to get here. So thanks, buddy. I also shoveled out the driveway nice and clean for you so you can have a nice way to get right up to the door. Nonetheless, uh, today we're going to be talking about the new Appendix N, or you gave it a title, the Appendicitis N. <laughs> Appendix N Endicitis. Ah, yes. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some books that we think that uh, as time has gone by, uh, Appendix N should be a living appendix document you know before it was pretty much contemporary science fiction fantasy we're going to focus primarily on fantasy on this one because we go too far afield i mean the field has grown so much that oh. we'll be off on so many different paths and tangents that you'll yeah we'll basically well, extemporize on and things that we don't even know anything about because we haven't read half of these people yeah okay let's let's be upfront about that actually like uh, here at the top of the hour uh let's just you know come out elbows flying <clears throat> and make a little confession. Mm. Uh, the majority of what we discuss today are authors that we have not read or may have only read one book by them. And this makes this in this episode an exception compared to our other appendix and type categories, because normally we're discussing books that we have an incredible familiarity with, okay? If we were talking about The Lord of the Rings or uh, David Eddings or what Which we you? are going to add David Eddings, by the way. But we're going to treat a lot of these authors very uh, succinctly. We're going to review basically what they have done, what they're known for, and why we think they should be on there. And I'm also going to say this, uh, kind of butt in from it, is that my wife has read quite a lot of uh, new authors, mostly women, because, you know, that's the thing that she's really into is the uh, female fantasy authors. It's a potent genre at this time. 
I'm yeah, and it's also him. talking about the young adult readership and, uh, you know, how it's grown from being kind of like the entry level, which, yes, it still is. But it's also the entry point for um, of the fantasy genre that is developed in and of its own. And yeah, fantasy and sci-fi are being helped and are being uh, continuated. You know, they're, yeah. they're being uh, lifted up. Uh, in terms of its relevance and its popularity, they are only being helped by YA fiction. And yeah. like, just because it's not for me, you know, just, I'm not the target audience. I, I do, I'm at an age where I need that level of complexity uh, or I just won't be, you know, properly interested. But that doesn't mean that I don't see its validity and its usefulness. So, right. We're going to talk okay. about that, but uh, we're going to save that for the episode. We've yeah, got that, one other point of business to finish up here, which is the Astragalomancer. Yes. Oh, okay. Get them dice warmed up. Give them a cast, Astragalomancer. Tell us what our future Oh, holds. look at them. The poor things are shivering. They're shivering. Aww. <laughs> Hey, if they're cold, if you're cold, they're cold. Bring your dice in and warm them up. <laughs> good, good advice. All right. Gazing into the aether, behold the misty vision that appears before me. I see in the near future, oh. we're talking about ownership and the environment of changing media next week, uh, specifically targeting the commentary from Ubisoft, uh, the you know oh, yeah. the fine folks uh, <laughs> over at Assassin's Creed Land, uh, and some of the outrage and controversy that has erupted from that. But more important than that single event is the wider conversation on evolving media availability like the the accessibility of media to people and the loss of ownership the concept of ownership itself which we have periodically mentioned as a side note in any number of much older episodes uh, you probably heard one and or both of us express frustration with uh, you know mediums for information or entertainment becoming almost hostile to the end user. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't own this. This is not your property. It's ours forever. And we'll do whatever we want with it, whether you paid us or not. All thoughts of your family, friends, and close personal acquaintances belong to us. Yeah. You, know. you cannot mention this legally without our express permission. It's like listening to the NFL for decades when they used to, like, all images, responses, and posts, commentaries belong to the NFL. And also your family, also your thoughts of your family and your pets. Yeah, if you have seen this or heard, if you have heard this advertisement or seen this product, the actual physical memory inside your brain is our property and we will have it extracted from you at great cost to <sighs> ensure it remains ours. Oh, you know, that attitude in the evolution of media has led to a backlash. And frankly... I'm in that backlash category and have been a long time, but we're noticing that more people of a much younger generation 
are jumping on board. Well, they're getting well stung, so. so they know what's going on. Yeah, they're but catching on. <clears throat> we're also going to talk about gaming and how this relates to the D&D online. Yeah. How there's some things they restrict content or remove from, and then you're stuck because you paid for it, but you don't own it. So, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. So, Evolving nature of ownership uh, and media products. Yeah, yeah, and so expect this to be pretty on point for this one because this is one where we can speak with authority and not have to extemporate. All right, so we've used that word extemporate a couple times already. So should we use it anymore? I, I don't know. We can we can make that the word that we go ding on. I yeah. mean, if we're remiss. Oh, ding. Oh, okay. Okay. New year, new word. All I right. have an announcement. Uh, I'm okay. going to get out also here at the top of the show. Right. Uh, and it's a joyful one. Oh, oh man. Uh, a friend of mine has finally launched the podcast I mentioned a, a few episodes ago. Uh, it, it, this goes back about a month or so. Uh, somebody may have heard me mention Podcastination Unknown, mm. uh, which is a horror genre podcast. It is focusing on the celebrating of the various mediums uh, by which horror products are you know, released, whether especially movies and television. Uh, and then, of course, video games and conventions and all of the other activities surrounding the vibrant uh, horror community. There are so many different subgenres inside horror, and it is, you know, far bigger today than it used to be. I mean, let's face it; it was kind of a it was a small clique. A lot of '80s kids, you know, like watched at least some of the lower key horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has become a substantive and large scale genre that is beloved by many. And my old friend Brian is uh, joined by two other co-hosts, uh, Devin and Elena, and they launch into uh, various horror topics and and or will have future topics but episode one is up yeah i'm gonna have to pester him about the giallo the cinema giallo yeah the italian yellow cinema the horror oh oh gotcha yeah that that's you know if you don't like gore uh that horror, horror may not be for you <laughs> well no if you don't like gore like okay you like probably the 13 slasher movies but if you like horror then giallo may be your speed it's actually, it's changed my perspective on the whole horror genre completely. Oh, man. Yeah, well, they made a lot of references in their intro, uh, the first episode, not to give too much of a breakdown, uh, but I am going to say that they, it was more of a introductory episode with the people getting to know each other and, mm-hmm. you know, get, get the hang of working with each other and recording this conversation, you know, that, you know, conversation. Yeah, they kind of round-robin nature. Uh, so they had a fantastic time and... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some very funny people, some very funny commentary. Yeah, uh, but they clearly do know their horror genre and certainly have their chops in because uh, a lot of obscure stuff got referenced, or even a lot of the very popular stuff was referenced. But there were some little comments here and there in the background that let me know right away that, oh man, yeah, there, there's going to be some discussion of rarefied things because they got back. Uh, they made a reference to some of the early uh, Hammer Horror films and like some of the sillier stuff that Peter Cushing was in. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> which we all remember here at the Nights of Screaming. So uh, <laughs> I was amused. I had a great time. Feel free to give Podcastination on So what, where are they at? Uh, YouTube and Spotify. YouTube and Spotify. They are right. fellow Spotifyers. All right. Well, we'll be looking out for them. Okay. Well, thanks for that. So, all right, let's tear into it. We're already raring to go. So, yeah. it's appendix N. So, we we'll already talked about, like, uh, in a previous episode, our appendix N, we've talked about that. We've made some references about, like, what we think should be additions. And I think we've mentioned these two authors before, but we're just going to throw it out here to get it started with Raymond Feist and David Eddings. They didn't, uh, I think they were in the between the additions where they could be mentioned, but. If yeah, you're they, starting an appendix and a new one, I think that uh, to set some classic works, those two have to be in there. The uh, Rift War Saga as well as the Bohemia. Oh, yeah. That's all good stuff. Uh, Feist is a, uh, a gamer at heart. He did Bohemia uh, Press for a long time. He's still out there, still pumping away. And uh, yeah, he's got a, a supposedly a deal in the works with uh, one of these uh, studios to do his Rift War. So we'll see where that goes. But yeah, the technology is there now to do the crazy stuff that would be oh, necessary yeah. to make that come to life. I, I would honestly have said that like 15 years ago, it couldn't have been done. It, there was no point in even trying because it would just suck compared yep. to reading. Yeah, the you're books. just gonna make it. Now, I, I am, I am willing to believe. So I, I have high hopes. Such hopes have been dashed before, but like I, I remain optimistic. Mm-hmm. Now those are more our era of like classic authors right. that you know 40 years ago launched and then became luminaries of fantasy fiction yeah uh, eddings is by many seen as the inheritor of tokens mantle of, of deep world building and allure and also command of linguistics although Okay, so he's not the uh, professor. Well, he's he's more prolific as an author and created a wider variety. Yeah, he had the Belgariad and what was series. the uh, the Night of the Sapphire Rose? What was that one? Oh, uh, the, the night one. I like that one a lot. But uh, again, he's well known for the banter between characters. That, yeah, you get a lot of. Uh, you really get uh, once you get a lot of Jungian archetypes go into like his works. A, a lot of the. You know the the psychology training obviously paid off there because I, I <laughs> he develops these things and they fill uh, you know like care people who are from specific nations fill sort of mythical roles that are associated with their background uh, and you know everything is valid everything is valuable uh, mm. and it's the mixture of like that that coming together of. Uh, you know, epic forces. The unspeakable oath. Yes. Uh, but the coming together of each individual and then all of them working towards that goal does seem to be a big theme there, uh, which, hey, well, you know, welcome to a large portion of fantasy fiction, but well-written and fun. And that's the stuff that we remember. That's that's the era we come from. Now, we're a little out of date. I, I oh, say. yeah. I mean, if you look at the dearth of fantasy fiction, not trying to push science fiction aside, but the, there has been so many new entries. And when we were already talking about the young adult, let's let's have that conversation now. Um, the young adult reader has all, often been the second class citizen or the poor cousin of yeah. fiction because everybody's like, oh, it's for kids. But 
there is an entry level, and it is for hey, young adults. Let's let's be uh, extra specific on this, okay? Uh, the reason there is so much rancor uh, is that if you roll the clock back to our generation, uh, when we were very young kids, uh, there were really only two kinds of fiction. And it was fiction which was aimed at adults and fiction which was aimed at like people just out of toddler. Okay. Uh, you know, that you had my golden book of <laughs> why Kitty went to heaven. Yeah. It was incredibly cloyingly uh, childish. And there was a gap where a lot of us who were teens, you had comic books, basically, teens and teens in. had to fill in the blanks with whatever they could find that was a little meatier in terms of content or thought. Uh, so if, if you had a hungry mind, if you really wanted to be you know, like asking questions, you just sort of had to go into the worlds of horror fiction or fantasy fiction or science fiction, and you went in cold. Okay, you you had to rise to that level. You know, like I brought my thesaurus uh, to this reading event today as I sit down with this new book because I am almost sure that I am not going to know at least like four or five percent of the words in this are going to be absolutely freaking new to me because I'm eleven and this is some fairly high level material. Like my explain to me what a baldric is. I didn't know when yeah. I was 11 what a baldric was when I read Robert E. Howard. And I'm like, I just had to imagine, like, must be one of them harness things. Well, I, I'm, I recognize by context, or by context that a poniard is apparently a thing you stab a person with. So it's got to be a sword-like object. A That's, poniard in your codpiece? Yeah. Uh, in any case, the big word brigade really beat the crap out of me, and I worked hard to get there. Now... I'm not saying that that's terrible or that that should never be. It was great. I had a terrific time going through that. But I am 100% supportive of, hey, how about some material that is a little more youth-friendly and represents a between zone between, like, okay, we're going to treat you like an adorable little moron. Uh, and, oh, I hope you have your postgraduate studies in English. Uh, oh. There should be something in between those places. And YA has succeeded precisely because it fills that niche. Right. And I'm just going to make a, a side road here. And since yeah, we've yeah, talked about horror true. before, uh, I'm going to mention R.L. Stein in an appendix end. And not because it's, it's extremely well written or anything like that, but it's the amount of horror. I mean, aside from overt occultism or demonology, almost every aspect of horror is covered in his Goosebumps uh, anthology. Yeah, so, I mean, he hit he, all the classic genre stuff. Yeah, he hit it all. And I mean, from, in, of course, everybody, and it, it ends up well in the Scooby-Doo type. But <laughs> the fact that it introduced horror, and I'm going to just bring this point home very succinctly here. The horror was latchkey kids <laughs> that were left unsupervised between the hours between school and dinner time. And these things happened and they had to uh, solve them, which kind of beats the heck out of the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys genre because there were actual monsters. There was actual consequences and, you know, even things like, OK, so it's a spooky werewolf. Right. But the savagery of, of infecting other friends with figuring out which of your friends is the lycanthrope that's 
killing and infecting the rest of them. Well, yeah, the children's mystery book is a little different from the children's horror book. Okay? Right. We, but, we look back and there was no horror genre for children up until we get, get, get goosebumps, but he introduces the fantastic elements. Magic is real or the occult element is basically introduced, but not in the Cthulhu way uh, that it's a cosmic horror. You're bending the laws of nature and this is a back snap that happens to you. Yeah, it, it's much lower key. You know, there are weird and inexplicable things out there. You know, it, it's more of a friendly kid zone, magic y environment than but it the, has the hardcore, like, oh, are you ready for August Durleth? No. Well, that makes you one of us because nobody is. So. All right. So there we are. <laughs> there you have it. I mean, I would put it on there R.L. Stein, not because it's explicitly well written or it's the most uh, groundbreaking horror series, but it introduced to a, a large genre of kids. And I think it, it adds to the fact that that's why horror is so prolific these days is because that was your entry level and it eased you into the role. Yeah. As opposed to like, you hey, know, Ramsey yeah. Scott Campbell or uh, what's uh, Ramsey Campbell and uh, Stephen King would do it a little bit better. But then, you know, Clive Barker would take it to a whole new level of, oh my, I, I can't believe I just read that on a page. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, you, you go back and you know, like there are portions of Stephen King that were like, these were not kid friendly books. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, Nothing he did. And but. his writing skill was like way over the par. So you, again, a lot of kids who got their intro to horror rather than fantasy fiction, uh, if their intro was Stephen King, because the books were everywhere, uh, they kind of had to climb the ladder. You're like, okay. I will work harder in order to understand this book because there's so much in it that's cool. But man, I am putting some overtime in on this. And oh my God, that's horrible. You know, just right. But we're talking about the young adult. We just want to make a brief mention of R.L. Stein being the goosebumps. And that uh, is part of what brought us to the era where somebody finally created a horror movie that is kid friendly and it had a well, remarkable success. We had the, uh, what was it? Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's uh, or something. Well, yeah, like that, that was also a video game franchise. Yeah. But, but you know, you yeah. Know, it, it, the, it's shocking success is because there is a market niche for horror that families can watch because mom and dad love horror and they want horror that is okay for their kid to watch. And maybe yeah, there's more than Texas just Chainsaw Massacre. Maybe not yet. Okay. Right. You well, yeah, you got ago. some uh, horror that is physical. Yeah. Uh, the, the grotesque that is in there. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, um, finding the medium uh, is. Yeah. I think our old sign should be in a appendix and just because the idea of the horror and the fantastical was entered in there. Now we're going to talk about the real gorilla in the room here. And that is JK Rowling. Hey man, you know, leaving and aside Potter, our seriously. abundant disagreements with <laughs> our lady of, of enormous wealth. Um, you know, we have lots of disagreements, but there are certain things that no matter what you do, you cannot take them away. Uh, and, the incredible scope and reach of her writing has meant that literally millions of children read books at a time when it seemed to the world like reading was something of a lost art and kids sitting quietly and absorbing a physical media product. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like, uh, do kids still do that anymore? I've never seen them do that. And then along came these books that had that perfect mix of qualities of, of being well, yeah, just like a little creepy, goosebumps. spooky, a little fun and entertaining, 
Uh, and, and they get and they, they do progress. Complex. Yeah, they got more complex as they went along. So I think that the overarching idea of magic. Now you can make your little snide remarks about yeah, it's it's about a high school, and essentially that's what Hogwarts is. It's a school uh, setting. Yeah. Welcome where, to junior high and high school. Except there's a crazy dude trying to kill you every year. Yeah, um. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not a terrible. I mean, I can, you can definitely see the young adult reader here, but it yeah. definitely gets complex where they deal with the society at large, where they try to suppress the mundane or what do they call them the muggles oh yeah well the I muggles mean, the and, the kind of you know racist classism uh example prototype in the the novels is yeah. that uh you know there is just virulent bigots of the magical world who believe that they are the superior beings who should clearly be in charge um, <laughs> uh, and that's lampooned as like as awful as it is so it's a very light-hearted way to you know, as so often happens with fantasy fiction and science fiction, it's a lighthearted way to brush up against yeah. a real world thing that is not good. <laughs> so I definitely say that those two authors, R.L. Stein and J.K. Rowling, definitely deserve a nod in the appendix. Now, if you may disagree with the political aspects, hey, that's cool. Oh, hey, author uh, Stein is a pretty uh, stable author and acknowledges that, yeah, I was writing horror that uh, couldn't involve a lot of gore or uh, darker elements, but still had to be uh, frightening and scary. And, you know, I, I I will pick this up again. The scary thing to him was how many kids were left home alone and needed these books to get them through that uh, time until the parental units come because both parents were at work all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, which, I mean, really our generation and just after our generation, uh, you know, latchkey was a lot more commonplace once yep. upon a time. Uh, it is now frowned upon, uh, which I don't know. I, I, I got mixed feelings, which is I, I honestly think if you actually raise kids to exercise good judgment and, you know, care for themselves and their siblings, they can do it. Uh, it would be ideal if they didn't have to, but we've gone so far the other way that we almost well, perceive yeah, it. Be like, you left them alone with a book? That is not the worst thing. To yeah, I mean, I, there you go. This was he found out that a lot of kids sympathize with it because, yeah, they were home alone, and uh, you know it was very spooky time sometimes. You know, it was very scary. Yeah, the world could be world could be very scary. Out well, there. in the winter time when the the you know, oh yeah. when, when it's dark out by like four thirty p.m. <laughs> and you know it's just nothing but a snowy you know winter wonderland outside. You know, you're supposed to stay indoors. And Winter Wonderland. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, okay. Oh. <laughs> hey, talk about fantasy right there. I'm yeah. tired of shoveling Winter Wonderland out of my driveway. Yeah, thank you. Oh. <laughs> I'm just putting the nicest spin on it you I are. can. Uh, it was pretty to look out the window at. But uh, much like, you know, <laughs> much like wild tigers, okay, if you look at it from a nice safe distance it's absolutely breathtaking but not the kind of thing you want to go have your bare hands near okay. <laughs> right so we wanted to cover to, to break the topic here as we're starting to run towards break time here i wanted yeah. to uh, basically like cover the ground yeah we wanted to put feist on there as well as uh eddings because i think they they don't get as much credit as they deserve because they're they old school to us they're not old school like the legendary classics but they're the next school, and that's our generation's like era. Yeah, with C.J. Shera, um, she gets some love in some of the uh, appendix ends that were uh, updated. 
a little bit, but yeah, yeah. we look back. I mean, the contribution and the relevance and importance of Piers Anthony is one thing. The controversial aspects of his writing that yeah. I think the controversy is absolutely legit. Uh, I, I don't think he's yeah. a great example, and I'm, I'm not sure that these are appropriate books for kids. Uh, oh, well, we're not talking about kids as much as we are how we we had to break off for the young adult just to make the entry level open so we could get uh, J.K. Rowling and R.L. Stein in there. And I just wanted to make that mention. But yeah, Piers Anthony, if we're going to talk about pr- problematic, I think that some of his stuff like OX and uh, what's the other series that he did on a pale horse. Oh yeah. That was actually pretty good. I loved it. I loved that series. I loved his books. Like I'm but, not, dissing, uh, I'm, but not uh, I'm not, I'm not looking fan. back at the isolated tidbits going, wow, that does represent kind of a collection of not appropriate. His ant series, which was primarily our entry level to fantasy because yeah. it was funny. It was lighthearted. But it had some elements that, when looking back, don't age well and should be yellow flags, if not outright red flags. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, we're uh, going to take a little break. We're going to launch right back in here. Yeah, uh, this is a good place to break off. The, okay, Piers Anthony, with some caution, his also should be put in there. So Because science fiction-wise, uh, I, I think uh, he wasn't too problematic in that. But some of the Zant series that we had, yeah. Oh, yeah. There were some, yeah. Young, young, flouncy things running around that should, probably should not be. But yep. hey, we were young and so we didn't see it back then. But I think that's where. Yeah, yeah, we look back now and cringe. Yes, uh, as so often is the case. Take care. We'll be right back. Yep, stick around. All right, we're back. Hey, thanks for sticking around, folks. Yeah, we're coming up for part two of this. So hey, uh, yeah, we're talking about a lot of the stuff that would have been put in an appendix and written out. And so yeah, we are taking a few steps back, just like uh, Gygax, Medicine, Dunsey, and a few others uh, that were you know turn of the century from the 1900s. Uh, that was fantasy fiction, including you know uh, I think something that probably he never really got around to, but was uh, Frank Baum. The Wizard of Oz, but yeah. that's a whole thing too. Uh, maybe we could go back and yeah. talk. Lamarck to Arthur, yeah. you know, you've got to, if we're going to roll it back. D.H. White, years. yep. Uh, so yeah, they included a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the appendix, uh, and that we're honestly big fans of. But this portion of the episode is really going to be focused on the stuff we haven't read, the, right. the things that are out there, new stuff that's that, been created. Yeah, because, well, you know, frankly... Because uh, it keeps going back to the old stuff all the time. There's a lot of new stuff. And wanting to put that into perspective here. Just going to say that uh, another people that should be put in there is Terry Pratchett and Terry oh, Brooks. Oh, Terry Pratchett. Yeah, the Discworld you know. series. If you're Everybody's probably listening to this podcast is very aware of that. Yeah. Pick those up, but also the sort of Shanahara and the Elfstones. Yeah, hey, you know what? Uh, you were saying apologies, <laughs> make culpas. Just, I, I feel like we should, you know, go to a, the nearest pile of like Terry Brooks books and just give them a hug and a cup of warm cocoa and oh. say, we're so sorry about what MTV did to you. Um, <laughs> just, I, that is one of those classic examples of like, wow, man. I mean, you know. You really put some effort into screwing this. Piece. Yeah, yeah, you really made this uh, 
you know, despite having John Reese Davies on there, you guys managed to screw this up. All right. Wow. Well, and to mention a somewhat more recent author, uh, you know, like not from our youth, but from like midway into our adulthood, uh, Christopher Paolini. Oh, okay. Uh, who, you know, wonderful reputation, terrific author. Yeah, uh, Aragon and all that. Yeah, Aragon, and that got the televised treatment. Oh, well, the movie treatment. Yeah, got, a, a movie got the movie, movie treatment, and uh, not the greatest results there either, but not awful. You know what I love? I love the cinematic approach of it. It was a great yes. spectacle. Uh, I think that they nailed the beat. If they didn't get beat for beat, just like with Lord of the Rings, they right. were very, but they were hurried by just one release, so a Thank lot you. got left on the floor. Bingo. And that but was the, the big flaw. They, but the thing is, we still have the books. Yeah, yes, we absolutely do, and I highly recommend them. That is a somewhat newer uh, than. Yeah, he would be an appendix then. I, I think. Yeah. That, yeah, we have to put Christopher Pliny now. And um, he is still publishing now. Okay, that's the reason I bring this name up. Is that like he's popping up in the Amazon bestseller list? And oh yeah. New York Times. He's still around and producing new material because this was a young author. Back when we, yeah, were if adults. Aragon, one criticism, we'll just stop right here. Uh, and uh, pivot. If there's one criticism that's been leveled, it's like Aragon is very simplistic, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings meets Star Wars, was one of the blurbs put on it, and yeah, that did attract me. But it's so the same, the Bulgaria. yeah. So, what, um, it, was it predictable? Yeah, but this guy was also very young, and you knew that okay, that this is his first outing, yeah, he was homeschooled, he's a little bit like uh, you know milk-fed veal but at the same time i'll take that i'll take all that aside and just read the book and enjoy it and i enjoyed it i did not have a bad time and i'm like i'm yeah. looking forward to the next one is a little predictable sure but they got better just like with harry potter and the sorcerer's stone the very first one it was a little simplistic i i had some problems with it but the next one was even a little bit better i noticed right off the bat the writing was more punchy on key and focused so obviously people and evolve as they work their craft. By the time you get to the Deathly Hallows, uh, yeah, like you, you get, get some, some pretty serious myth making. Yeah, you the know, three some... the three brothers and the three items of the Deathly Hallows, and I was just like, wow, that is classic mythology making. Okay, this you is... know what in their world, I don't like that wizards have to use wands and staves all the time to cast spells, but I understand this is their. That's their thing. This is how they do it. They need a focus item to channel their energy. And they make this all part of the mythology. Yeah, I, I don't... It's just, this is like their Excalibur. This is their Stormbringer-type uh, massive weapon. That wand was just absolutely insane. Yeah. I, I appreciate good myth-making wherever I find it. You know, And if we're going to be... Uh, this is a point we left on the floor... Uh, but I want to bring it back. When we're talking about young adult fiction, anybody gets kind of peevy about that. Hey, look, um, if we're going to discount that, we have to discount uh, Narnia and C.S. Lewis's contributions of early fantasy. And they're all over the appendix ends. Yeah, and there there was, uh, you know, some talk even back in the day when it was written. That like, you know, oh, it's like a ridiculous, uh, overblown fairy tale for children. And C.S. Lewis was like, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's awesome. Are you not getting this? You know, uh, and clearly it was one of those moments where like these stodgy people went, I, I just don't see a place for this because it's not the kind Look, of thing. Santa Claus rocked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like, hey, St. Nick. 
See, I'm far too old and cynical to reread that now and not just cringe at a specific moment because, you know, whenever the uh, ex deus machina starts handing out the incredibly awesome items that way, well, the if they're that lavish, bowl. I'm like, oh, God, what's in the next room? <laughs> the next boss fight is just going to be like the, the healing potion that never runs out, cures all diseases and maladies. <laughs> We're doomed. A cloak of, you know, just all Heartseeker bow, a sword that cuts off the heads of its opponents. Oh, oh what are we fighting? <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> You're gonna understand something. When oh, this yeah, is done. But yeah, getting terrible. back in it, Christopher Fellini, man, great series, yeah. and it gets kind of dumped on in the same way that uh, some of the young adult stuff is. Hey, lighten up, enjoy it. It's a great read. And we've mentioned the series before, but I wanted to bring up The Witcher. Uh, Absolutely. Because here is a new phenomenon, uh, relatively new. I mean, we're talking this decade. Yeah, I'm going to let Mike take this one, so you just uh, run with this one for about a couple minutes. Uh, the rise of The Witcher. It, we saw a gritty horror fantasy series, uh, you know, with, with some, you know, spicy moments in it, uh, rise to prominence. Uh, and then capture people's imaginations on television. Uh, it is not often that you see a very new series have that kind of widespread impact very quickly. Uh, this is similar to the very quick rise we saw with the series uh, The Walking Dead, which went from comic to leaping into television fame almost, you know, <laughs> Almost miraculously, just an incredible swift transition. But, uh, of course, this is an author who, like, it did not end with one book. Okay, Yeah, this you're going to have to forgive me for yeah, having book. a problem pronouncing his last name. Oh, well. Andrew. But, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, look up The Witcher. That, that should be a modern appendix end moment right there. Because the cultural impact it had almost immediately... Uh, you know, within just a few years of release, mm -hmm. you know, huge fandom, Books, video games, comics, video games. Yeah. yeah, it it conquered the globe and we couldn't be happier for it because it was darned fun stuff to read and to play and to watch uh, in every case. Uh, with the solitary, uh, cringy exception of uh, people attempting to. Uh, well, how do I put this? Uh, it, it's one of those wars where internally it, it seems like the the showrunners are you know obviously answerable to the people bankrolling things and they have a vision for where they would like to go to make money on this and then of course the artistic and creative crowd are like uh no you you really should not do that 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 would be terrible please please don't do that and then of course internal uh Feuding creates chaos. Yeah. So it, maybe the television you know, future for this thing isn't it great. But you know what? We still have the books. So Andrew uh, Sapkowski, Sapkowski. There we go. I have a hard time remembering the name because of its uh, odd cadence and spelling. But hey, it was Polish. This guy did basically Warhammer fantasy fiction done right world building wise oh, and he nailed it. yeah he just it's just so many elements put in there and i mean it's it's literally a history kitchen's... mythology world building I, it, yeah and also you know if you take the archetype of the superhuman space marine 
he really deals with magically or alchemically engineered super soldiers to fight this menace and how they interact with society and how they are basically, yeah, like the space Marines, they live forever. Yeah. Until you die, of course, which is going to probably happen. Yeah, don't worry later. about living forever in this job. Yeah, but <laughs> no one has died of old age in this profession. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't want to don't worry about workplace accidents either. You're probably not going to make it that long. Yeah. yeah, speaking of workplace accidents, we didn't have much news to report because it's been uh, what, seven days since Wizards of the Coast has had a foot in the mouth incident. So yeah, yeah, we we have no OGL. Uh, yes. there, uh, sorry, uh, we we have no updates on WOGL WOTC slash Hasbro. Uh, what have they screwed up this week? Uh, no, they did a lot of radio silence. Yeah, yeah they're they're hunkered in the back of a cave, licking their wounds. Like, that did not go like we hoped. No, it didn't. So, hey, and you know what? Uh, We've run from a few encounters ourselves, so I I understand why they they might need some time. Has anybody got another healing potion? I'm not ready to go back out there yet. That owlbear was fierce. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah, we we feel your pain, bros. Uh, You know, just, just like apply some tactical smartness next time. Yeah, going at it, going at it dumb. They'll never see a frontal assault coming. Uh, maybe not your best plan ever. Now, I was enthused about adding the Witcher to our new appendix and concepts because, man, uh, that's one got to be there. Uh, but all right, so let's start talking about some other. Uh, I want others. you to talk about one, and then I'll bring up some. All right, ones. well, uh, another elephant in the room, Brandon. Uh, Sanderson, um, yeah. Skyward and all that. Yeah, this guy, he's got so much stuff that we can't possibly even cover it other than to mention it. Prolific. Yeah, and also good fantasy. This is not uh, extreme. Uh, this is good world building without being too haughty or high and mighty about it. It's practical, it's approachable, and it's, it, first of all, just like Raymond Feist, it's it almost seems like this guy, this is his campaign notes. Yeah. It okay, has that like authentic a, D&D Yeah, it feels touch. like there's a system here that oversees this. And, you know, it's really a good... That's an impression that really only gamers get when they yeah. read a book. Is Like if you have studied the system mechanics to learn an RPG, and then you've played a variety of them and you've had to learn the mechanics... When you see world building like that, you get the very strong sense that I, I think this is a gamer, bro. I, I, I sense kinship here. Like this world building style has that feel of there are quantities like that. Well, yeah, Sanderson's yeah. great. Yeah, Sanderson's a good one. Hold on. Uh, that is an outstanding inclusion because Brandon Sanderson is all over the map of modern fantasy fiction that is a must include now yeah um i think one of the big problems with some of these authors is like oh they they just it seems like they're producing a lot of books and that's going to bring me to another one now yeah that's that's the marketing uh hook here is like they they will produce one book and then they write 
for a serial adaptation. And that is different from a lot of the stuff that you will see in the older appendix ends, where they're mostly one-off novels. You've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the short story, the novella are less popular today than they used to be. Because the marketing, they want to make, if they get a good artist, or writer, artist, creator, they want to keep investing into them. Uh, well, and they, they want that streaming income. Yes. Uh, which you're like, look, I'm not saying that that is all bad. Right. I mean, oh, they're going to keep creating is, stuff. Oh, this, yeah. In this genre. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. In the genre of authorship. Producing something new every couple of years consistently, uh, or every year if you can write that fast. Once in a while, you run across to somebody who can produce material that quickly, and it doesn't suck. It keeps it, <laughs> so big. Kudos to Mister Sanderson. It keeps the genre alive. Yeah, and when we're talking about books, and this is key to our next episode too. This is reason why physical media is so important. Because for years they said, oh, you know, books will be gone because digital media will replace it. Well, <laughs> you still own your PDFs. I got that. But, you know, um, where you get some of this stuff, uh, they're probably going to come at you too and say, hey, you got to get used to the idea of not owning your media anymore. Get rid of all that stuff. You know, declutter yourself and get rid of everything. Look, I'm telling you, I'm in a house full of books and we have to be very careful what we do. And bye. So I'm going to get on another one. Unless you had an author you wanted to uh, hit. Well, why don't you do one more? I've got another. All right, yeah, I'm going to talk about in that uh, serial episodic. They're just flooding the market with books. Sarah J. Moss, The Throne of Glass series and the Akintar series. That is very, uh, it kind of is a young adult and it sounds a little gothy, edgy at first. You know, she's an assassin, half uh, fae, lover or courtesan of the emperor or a and it, yeah, it starts out like, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm going to cringe up a little bit at this, but it develops into this very deep story with lots of plot twists. And that's the catch, okay? I, like, you know, we had discussed this one briefly before the show uh, a few days ago. And, you know, like in, in the description, I, like even Mr. Veteran Old Sci-Fi Guy over there was like, you know, this went in a direction I did not expect. Like I... You know, not to sound hostile or anything, you know, but went in not expecting that much because that first impression was, this is what I'm looking at. I'm, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm in some sketchy territory I may not enjoy. <laughs> but the actual, you know, analyst of science fiction and fantasy fiction, what they encountered as they got furthered in or further in was more and more complex and interesting it yeah was like you read well the, executed uh you're a little bit better with these uh bigger names here oh. i wish mouth it oh selena sardothian yep ah selena sardothian is her kingdom's most feared assassin she works for the powerful and ruthless assassin's guild she yields to no one and trusts only her fellow killer for hire sam but yeah i i Love the cover art, too. I mean, that's lovely, but, you know. Yeah, the Assassin's Blade Throne of Glass series, it is really good stuff. And she's writing another series, and she's still not done with the Assassin's yeah, it's Blade. right on the curve of YA, you know? Right. It, I, I would say that this is at the upper end of it. It is. Yes, yes, it is. And it works pretty hard of uh, making itself approachable. 
Because, yeah, when you're, look, think of your first character. Yeah, I'm an assassin for hire. I yield to no one. I'm, I may be for rent, but I'm not for sale. <laughs> that Sam Spade kind of two-fisted, gutsy, uh, streetwise character is a good archetype to hang your hat on to get started. But, you yeah. know, you develop over character growth. It happens. And, hey, I do not want to be the person who discourages new authors. Right. I, I really don't want to be that guy. Now, look, I mean, if you're if you're really genuinely bad at it, maybe it's not working out for you if you were in a hurry to get good. But, you know, there are an awful lot of people out there right now that, look, it may not be the masterwork that it could have been, but they're making a heck of a fantastic intro to the genre like they're they're showing mm -hmm. that they have the potential already it's there they could do some amazing things in the years to come uh by way of example uh, i know this is not fantasy fiction but ken follett is back in the bestsellers lists again with uh, the armor of light which by this time the pillars of the earth series which is you know like uh, historical novels uh, which we mentioned in our historical fiction uh, episode. Uh, he is back again. And of course, times have changed and it's more modern still. The, the descendants and mm -hmm. antecedents of, of uh, his previous novels are, you know, they're, they're featured once again in a time of crisis and change and an evolving world and, you know, struggling to, you know, make their, make their own way. Uh, fun stuff. So I'm very happy Ken Follett's still around. Oh, yeah. But yeah, not everybody's Ken Follett. Okay? And Sarah J. Maas. They don't have to be. She's, uh, you know, she's really good. And my wife gives it the highest praise. That's her That's her number one go-to. Um, she also, uh, I'm just going to go through a couple others here. Tracy Dion uh, doing the Legendborn Saga, which is a, a black female King Arthur. And I know everybody's going to roll their eyes back in their head. Oh, my gosh. Well, but it, uh, this is a black female... It's an um, inheritor of the mythical tradition. Right. Okay? And so understand the context. It's not like, oh, we're just going to rewrite that ancient myth. And from now on, that's what it's going to be. Like. No, that is not what it's happening here. This is. Yeah, know, but she does blast the, some of the concepts. It's like picking up Mjolnir or like drawing Excalibur from the stone. It is what is in your heart that matters. Like that, that person who right. is worthy, truly worthy to wield this is the only one who can have it. That mythological concept is magnificently executed. Yeah, and so it, you know, getting the rarity, the unicorn in their uh, sighting, and actually not just sighting them, but getting them uh, their uh, legend-born saga is very good and well received, and it's very well written. Uh, it's very, uh, very poignant and a little, um, it's a little sharp. So yeah, it may not be at everybody here's speed, but it is definitely worth noting that is an inclusion on Appendix N for fantasy. Uh, we also have Melissa Blair with the Halfling Saga, not the Halfling with the little furry feet, but, uh, you know, think more Typhling or uh, in the Pathfinder parlance, the Nephilim, is, that fills the blank right there, that uh, that checks that box. Um, Nephilim. Yeah, Nephilim. Oh, yeah. All right. Then. So we're be... talking about uh, a, a book that you want to talk about here uh, is Travis Baldry. The Legends and Latte and uh... <laughs> now this represents the lighthearted end of the spectrum. The the it is in its core fantasy fiction, mm. okay, very clearly. However, 
it does so with tongue-in-cheek humor and you know a kind of modern sensibility uh, that puts a me half in work mind. A typhling starting a coffee shop. Yeah, uh, it puts me in mind of Myth Adventures by Robert Asprin. There you go. And this is kind of the logical inheritor of that tradition, and I enjoyed those books immensely. Yeah, Robert Asprin. If we were talking about the problematics of, uh, oh my goodness, Piers Anthony. Yeah, take it, away the problematics, and you're left with. Uh, you know, missing ink, myth, ink. yeah, missing, <laughs> myth, myth incorporated. Yes, um, yeah. So there was a lot of good stuff off of those, and those were really good, enjoyable books. I enjoyed uh, Rod, Rod, Robert Aspirin. He also had some serious fantasies that he did too, but he could oh, never resist sure. doing a little bit of whimsy in them because it was just as it was as much fun to write. You know, it, people enjoyed them. Uh, they were like, like it Pratchett, a, you know, it was a prosperous uh, paperback series, but they were fun to write. Yeah, just like Pratchett, you know, you just always, always fun to read. Now, um, I got a big name I got to get out here. Okay. Uh, Neil Gaiman. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. In terms of fantastic fiction. Wow. Uh, kind of an elephant in the room. I mean, that is that is new appendix and territory for sure. This is somebody who in a in a proxy, like he was writing before this decade, uh, but he had not risen to prominence where people were basing a series of television shows off of his work. Mm -hmm. uh, the comics were revered. Okay, they they were looked upon oh. with great affection, uh, but he had not yet, you know, in, um, elevating it to that level of literature. Yeah, and he out of the uh, big point, he didn't graduate from comics to doing novels. You're like, no, he still does comics. I feel like that the material that he creates, he will work in any medium. He doesn't care. Yeah, like he Peter just, David has done the uh, great work with the Hulk back in the day, and yeah. is much well revered for that. Um, he also does books, and yeah, so yeah, but he's still but American Gods. Uh, yeah, for American those who have God. seen it, and of mm -hmm. course, uh, I believe Anansi Boys is in the making. Yeah, uh, referencing the you know ancient African spider god Anansi, uh, which uh, not I'm not giving away huge gaping plot holes here, but uh, you know <laughs> if you know American gods, uh, you will enjoy. Yeah, Neil Gaiman would fit just like uh, with several of the authors in the old appendix end with Neil Gaiman everything or et al. Yeah, he, everything. Uh, that Neil Gaiman has written is well worth uh, a fantasy, a read by a fantasy enthusiast. It's pretty much always a fantastic element. Uh, it doesn't necessarily go into classic fantasy fiction world building where, you know, like uh, ancient mythical world, it tends to be that crossover genre where like the commonplace, regular mundane world uh, gets, you know, uh, dragged into the fantastical. And in that respect, it's reminiscent of Stephen King. Uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> so putting a spotlight on it. we're coming to the end of our list <coughs> pardon yes uh we're going to talk about joe abercrombie and the blade itself series which as you know it has a lot of uh likes and uh dislikes i have to say that he is definitely in there uh his blade itself series a trilogy as it is stands right now uh is very well written it's a very character driven story arc that uh Spends a lot of time setting up the first book you know, for the next two. So it's a lot like Lord of the Rings in that one where you uh, have some 
um, elderly uh, uncle's birthday party to attend to. <laughs> and a wizard shows up. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, boy, in a fantasy series, that's that's always when everything goes terribly. And the wizard shows up. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, but Joe Abercrombie definitely, uh, with his Blade of Self uh, series, is just um, hitting all the notes with a lot of fantasy fans like Brian Sanderson. So, you know, you can't say enough about it. Uh, definitely. Uh, I did not... I particularly enjoy the read, but I, that uh, is also because this book might not have been for me, and I'm willing to walk past that and just say, hey, you know what? It was well-written, and I did enjoy The Inquisitors, so. I just, I'm sorry, my brain just flashed back to that uh, comedic cartoon meme uh, of, like, the what-if scenario of, like, a wizard pops through a portal and offers you a chance to go on a mighty adventure, and, like, the ordinary person sitting there is like, you know, uh, you know, there is an important question. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. It, there will be terrible danger. I don't care. Anything but here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you had me at hello. And then, uh, as we get ready to close this out, we're going to end it with uh, Jeffrey L. Konahek. Konahek. I really don't. Konahek. Yeah. yeah. Konahek. It looks like Konahek. Yeah, I could be uh, wrong. I mean, you don't know what I went through before I learned to say Palanchik. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to mush that up, so I'm going to just massacre him. Just say that right there. He's done The Fate of Wizardoms, and of course, uh, he has a lot of uh, background that all of us do, comic books, gaming, and it is called The Chef's Kiss. It lands right with all the notes on the fantasy genre. And it's basically a fantasy saga. Uh, this is from one of our listeners. You know who you are, Mr. Brown. Um, yeah, I have not had a chance to read it, so I can't give my full opinion on this. But you know what? Um, looking at the dearth and breadth of his work, yes, he is definitely a not only a contender, but a placeholder in any new appendix. And if you don't have this guy, you are probably missing out. And so... We've hit a couple notes here that may land uh, flat with our listeners, and that's fine. Hey. Uh, if you didn't like any of the, our, our choices, let us know. You can, of course. And just... it's by no means an exhaustive list. We were limited by time yeah. severely. We had a we had to cut from a gargantuan list down to what we have been able to present here, because uh, <laughs> an hour just ain't enough. <laughs> yeah, but you know anything by Andrew Sapowski, Brandon Sanderson, Sarah J. Moss. Uh, Melissa Blair, Jeffrey Conahek, and Joe Abercrombie, Travis Baldry, along with uh, Raymond Feist, uh, David Eddings, uh, R.L. Stein, J.K. Rowling. That, that that's a pretty much a, a good summary with um, Robert Asprin, C.J. Shera. You know that's our append, new appendix then, and you can oh, take yeah, that. I throw in Tanya Huff. And Tanya Huff, like, yeah, thanks. Okay, but thanks. those are more historic. Right, they go back a little bit, but but just, they definitely had long-lasting impact in wide reach. So yeah, they weren't really a part of that classic appendix end because everybody kind of bows and worships the one that was printed in between 1979 and 1982. So yeah, you know that there was a lot of stuff that came afterwards that yeah. uh, other people have tried to encapsulate. And I don't think they give enough love to uh, Terry Pratchett and uh oh, yeah. Terry brooks as well but we've mentioned them we wanted to make mention but the witcher and i think uh 
Well, and also Harry Dresden. George R. R. Martin. We almost uh, walked oh, away from oh, that one. Yeah, geez. Game of Thrones. They're yeah. real big. So. Well, that's the shoe in. Okay. That's, yeah, you know, you don't know. I think we, everybody else already knows that one. All um, right, Matt. That's yep. it. We're wrapping up for today. We'll catch you later, folks. All right. We'll catch you then. And may the dice always, always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.